Hello, this is Pastor Mike Letterman with ChristLives.org. Today we continue our series of lessons about the servant Jesus. Our text being taken from today from Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. This one is entitled, The Temptation of the Servant. As we continue to move through the Gospel of Mark, we are observing Jesus as he begins his earthly ministry. His coming was announced by John the Baptist in verses 7 through 8 of chapter 1. Then Jesus appeared and submitted to baptism in verses 9 through 11. See, Jesus was baptized not to cleanse him of any sin, for he had no sin to be cleansed of. Jesus was baptized to publicly accept his Father's mission to be the Savior of the world. As soon as he was baptized, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit of God for service, and Jesus heard the voice of his Father acknowledging him as his Son and approving of him in every way. Our verses today reveal even more about the preparation of Jesus Christ for his mission of service to fallen humanity. As soon as he is baptized, the Spirit of God driveth Jesus into the wilderness. The word driveth is a strong word. It means to throw or cast out or to force out. Now this word would not suggest that Jesus had to be forced to do the will of the Father. It simply means that the Spirit of God moved on Jesus in a strong manner and led him into the wilderness to be tested. I want you to take note that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, any time God wanted to teach his people or a member of his people a lesson, he led them into the wilderness. He led the children of Israel into the wilderness. And when it was time for Jesus to learn something, he was also led into the wilderness. The word of God says, and at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. You know, I'm interested in this passage because Jesus Christ went through a period of temptation, and he came out the other side completely 100% victorious. Every person Today, in the sound of my voice, faces time of temptation as well. We need help when our times of testing come because unlike Jesus, we fail in this area far more often than we succeed. This passage offers some much needed help and hope when our own times of testing and temptation come. Let's look at these verses and consider the temptation of Jesus the servant. Now, since Mark's account of this view is so limited, we will be calling on the testimony of Matthew to aid us in our understanding of the Lord's temptation. You can find Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 4, verses 4 through 11. Let me show you some of the details of our Lord's temptation that can help us when we face temptation in our own lives. Let's read the account in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verses 4 through 11. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, 
he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus saith saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Wow. Let's look at the timing of his temptation. The word immediately lets us know that the trial Jesus faced in the wilderness occurred just after his baptism was completed. There was no lag in the action. You know, for one moment, Jesus was hearing the approval of the Father, receiving the anointing of the Spirit, and confirming the acceptance of his mission. And next moment, he finds himself being compelled to go into this time of temptation. There's a great lesson here for the children of God. We are never more vulnerable than when we think we are coming out of a time of great victory. We are never more vulnerable than when we are coming out of a time of great victory. Hold that thought. Satan loves to attack us when we think we're the strongest. This is clearly taught in the Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Look at Elijah on Mount Carmel. He prays a short prayer and the fire of God falls consuming the fast sacrifice. He takes the 450 prophets of Baal and has them all put to death. He prays again and it rains for the first time in three and one half years. He even outruns the chariot of King Ahab all the way back to Samaria. Elijah's at the top of his game here. Fast forward less than 24 hours and Jezebel sends him word that she's going to do the same thing to him that he did to the prophets of Baal. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2. What does Elijah do? Does he remember the power of God and say, Bring it on, Jezebel. God can handle you. No. He runs away. He runs away in fear. Beware when you enjoy a great spiritual victory or get in on a good move of God. You might think that you're invincible and that you've reached a place where the devil can't touch you. And when you think like that, you're headed for a time of testing. How many have faced a trial on the hills of Sunday service? You know, Satan will also come to you when you're tired and weak. The good news is that Jesus will also come to you if you're when you're tired and weak, if you ask him. Let's look at the territory of his temptation. See, Jesus was sent into the wilderness. The Jews saw the wilderness as a place of danger, gloom, and as the abode of demons. For them it represented everything that was evil and separated from God. Jesus was sent into the wilderness to do battle with the devil on his own territory. You see, Jesus had already invaded the devil's territory when he was born into this world. Satan is the god of this world. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And when Jesus came into this world, he was declaring war on the devil and bringing the battle to him. In the temptation, the battle lines between Jesus and Satan were clearly drawn from the outset. 
The temptation of Jesus served three basic purposes. The devil found out just who he was dealing with. Number one. The son to experience the father's ability to take care of him. Number two. And we can see that there's hope for help for us when we face our own times of testing. Number three. You know, I'm glad that Jesus endured the temptation and the testing in that time. He's able to help us when we face those times in our own lives. Let's look at the trials of his temptation. You know, the way Mark described these events, he described them very briefly. We can see some important truths that are here. Number one, look at the leadership. The temptation was all about Jesus doing battle with the devil. But see, Mark is quick to tell us that the Spirit of God is the one who calls Jesus to go into the wilderness. When temptations to evil come, they never come from the hand of God. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. God never leads people into sin. He's in the business of leading us away from evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. However, he will send us into periods of testing. He does this not to cause us to fail, but to help us grow in the Lord. He knows that we do our best growing when the pressure's on. God will not send you into a time of temptation to sin, but he will send you into a time of testing to help you grow. Just ask Joseph why he ended up in that pit. Genesis 37. Look at Genesis 50 verse 20. God will never send you into sin, but he will put you in places where your faith will be tested. Satan also uses these times to tempt us. Look at the loneliness of the wilderness. You see, in that wilderness place, Jesus was cut off from his friends and family. He was shut off for a time so that he might be tested. His only companions were the wild beasts, the angels, and the devil. I don't really know why Mark mentions the wild beasts. He may have mentioned them to emphasize the fact that Jesus was in a barren place inhabited only by wild animals. The deserts in Jesus' day were inhabited by lions, hyena, wild boars, and jackals. These were all fierce beasts of prey that might have stalked the Lord Jesus. Some believe that these animals recognized their creator and came near to comfort him in his trials. The Bible really doesn't say. The angels did not give him food until his testing was finished. Look at Matthew chapter 4 verse 11. The word ministered here is the same word that's translated deacon. It means to wait tables, offering food, and drink to guests. But they were with him during the entire ordeal. They communed with him and gave him emotional, spiritual, and mental support during the testing time. The Spirit of God was also there to give Lord Jesus comfort during this trial. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter in the book of John. John chapter 14 verse 16. The word comforter refers to one who comes alongside of another to offer aid and comfort. Of course, the devil was also there. He was there to see Jesus fail. He came to tear down the, our Lord and defeat him if he could. How many times during those 40 days did Satan tell Jesus that no one cared? How many times did he tell the Lord how foolish he was for trusting God? How many times did he point out the fact that Jesus was alone, had no food, and no friends? 
There are times when it feels like we're walking through the hard places of life all alone. It seems like the only one who's around is the devil. He comes around to do to us just what he did to Jesus. He comes to mock our faith and challenge our resolve to trust the Lord. You know, even when it seems that you're all alone, you're not. The Lord's angels are there ministering to you in ways that you will not know until you get to heaven. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2. The Lord himself is there. And even when you can't see him, sense him or feel him, he's still there to help you. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. Matthew chapter 28 verse 20. He is in you. He is with you. And the Bible says that he will never leave you. Our Lord knows how to help those who are lonely because he's been there. Let's look at the length of time. The period of testing lasted 40 days. The number 40 in the Bible is used for times of testing, times of probation, and times of preparation. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert in training. The spies spent 40 days spying out Canaan. The rains were upon the earth 40 days and nights during the flood. So the number 40 is a number commonly associated with testing. We're told by Matthew that Jesus fasted those 40 days. Matthew chapter 4 verse 2. He also spent that time in close communion with his father. He was preparing himself spiritually for the showdown that was coming when Satan unleashed his temptations. Jesus was getting ready for battle. How many times have I slung my XM24A1 over my shoulder or grabbed my Colt 1911 and made sure it was securely fastened at my hip? I know what it's like to prepare for battle. This time of testing lasted 40 days for Jesus. We never know how long our times of testing will be when they do come our way. Our duty is to be prepared for them when they come, to weather them in the grace of God, and to exit them with our testimony intact. We do not know how hard the battles may be, but we do have his promise that he will support us through them all. 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Let's just look at the simple load that was here on our Lord. Mark simply tells us that Jesus was tempted of Satan. This implies that he was attacked by the devil during the entire 40-day period. Matthew tells us it was at the end of the 40 days when Jesus was weak from fasting that Satan came against him with his strongest and most pointed attacks. Look at Matthew chapter 4 verse 2. To understand what Jesus faced and what it leaves us, we need to look at Matthew's account of these events. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Let's examine the three temptations that are mentioned here and see what lessons we can glean from them. Let's look at the first temptation, Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. In this temptation, Satan questions the son's relationship with the father. No doubt Satan had heard the father's declaration in Mark chapter 1, verse 11. Now Satan calls that relationship into question. 
He mocks Jesus and says, look at you starving here in the wilderness. If you're really the son of God, why are you starving to death in the wilderness? Use your power and turn these stones to bread. Feed yourself since you are the son of God. There is no question that Jesus could have turned the stones to bread if he had wanted to. He had the power to do so. And it's not a sin to want to meet a legitimate need. But to use his power in that way at this time would have shown a lack of faith in the Father. The temptation here is for Jesus to act independently of the Father and the Spirit. The devil wants Jesus to do his own thing. Christ's answer to the devil showed the condition of his heart. He would rather starve to death than be out of his Father's will. Being in the center of the Father's will meant more to Jesus than food or life. Wow, what a challenge that is to us. How easily we sell out to get our hands on the things that we desire. How easily we give in to compromise and sin so that we can satisfy the lusts of our flesh. Like the foolish Jews, we love bread more than we love the Father at times. Look at John chapter 6, verse 26. Then there's the second temptation, Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. You see, here Satan tries to get Jesus to perform the miracles apart from the will of the Father. Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. That spot was said to be about 450 feet high. Satan misquotes Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12. Just keep it, one thing to keep in mind is that Satan knows the scriptures better than you do. Psalm 91, verse 11 through 12, Satan left out the phrase that says to keep thee in all thy ways. This is God's promise to protect the Messiah as he carried out the Father's will. Satan was trying to get Jesus to step outside that will and work a miracle to prove that he was who he claimed to be. He was also trying to get Jesus to accept immediate fame. If he had stepped off the pinnacle of the temple and floated to the ground, he would have been instantly famous. Again, Jesus responds in the proper way. His response is one of faith. Jesus is saying, it is never right to operate contrary to God's will regardless of the outcome. God honors obedience, not outcomes. Look at, uh, look at Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 33. You know, again, there's a lesson here for us. Far too many people and ministries in our day seem to think that the end justifies the means. They have the mentality that everything is all right as long as a few people are brought to the Lord and as long as things turn out all right in the end. Let me tell you, God does not bless programs. He does not bless people, puppets, and petting zoos. He blesses his word and he blesses obedience to his word. The increase belongs to the Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Obedience to his word is our responsibility. External prosperity does not mean that God approves of what we're doing. God always has and will always bless obedience. He may not bless it in external ways that men recognize, but he always honors those who honor him. Look at Moses and the twice smitten rock in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. Moses was commanded to speak to the rock so that water might be given. He struck the rock twice, rock twice instead. God graciously gave the water anyway, 
But Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land because he had disobeyed. I'd rather have the blessings and presence of God than the prosperity that can be achieved through human means. Let's look at the third temptation in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. You see, here Satan, as the God of this world, offers Jesus the kingdoms of this world. Satan is attempting to get Jesus to take the crown and bypass the cross. For a simple bow to the limited sovereignty of Satan, Jesus could skip the pain of Calvary and have the world fall at his feet. Apparently, Satan had the power to grant this promise. Or maybe he was lying. Satan is the father of all lies. But Jesus responds in a way that once again honors God. He reminds Satan that only God is worthy of worship. You see, Jesus did not come to this world just for a crown. Oh, there's a crown in his future, but for Jesus, the path to the crown leads by the cross. Jesus came to this world to die. He would rather obtain the crown by laying down his life on the cross and to do that for you and me and everyone else from the beginning of time through the end. Again, there's a lesson here for us. Satan would have us take the easy, painless way. He promises us an easy path if we will just allow him to be the ruler of our lives. But if you give the devil an inch, he will become your ruler. God's will is that we walk in his ways and that we trust him to give us the things he desires to bring into our lives in his time. Look at Psalms chapter 37, verse 5. And then there's the testimony of the temptation. Luke says, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. As Luke chapter 4, verse 13. That would certainly not be the last encounter that Jesus would have with the devil, but ultimately defeat Satan forever when he died on the cross. But here in his temptation, Jesus won a great victory over Satan. It needs to be said here that the temptation of Jesus was not about trying to get him to sin. Jesus Christ was God in human flesh, and it was impossible for him to sin. The Bible is very clear in this manner. First, he knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Second, he did no sin, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, and Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Third, he had no sin, 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, John chapter 14, verse 30, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. Hope you're taking notes. Yet he was tempted in every way that mankind is tempted. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. He was tempted in the physical realm, the emotional realm, and the spiritual realm, just like we are. If he could not have sinned, were his temptations real? Yes, they were very real. The temptation of Jesus was not to see whether he would commit sin or not, but to prove that he could not sin. He proved that he was a sinless son of God in that wilderness. Remember, when you sin, Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us daily. Why? Because he knows what sin is like. He knows what it's like to be tempted but he was perfect. 
we are not. You know, there's several lessons that we can learn from his temptations, lessons that can help us in our day of testing. See, Jesus overcame because he was sinless. We fell because we are sinful. How can we obtain victory in our own battle with sin? By watching Jesus in his trial that can help us with ours. There are two things we need to take note of. First, he was filled with the Spirit in Mark chapter 1, verse 10. Second, he was filled with the Word of God. Three times Jesus was tempted, and three times he reached back in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, chapter 6, verse 16, and chapter 6, verse 13, just for the words that he needed to give back to Satan. The Spirit of God gave him the ability to stand against the attacks of the devil. The Word of God gave him ammunition to defend himself while he attacked back. If we want to be successful in our battle with the flesh and the devil, we need to be sure that we're living lives that are controlled by the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, and we are filled with the Word of God. Psalms chapter 119 verse 11. We need him and his power if we're going to have a victory in our own times of testing. The first Adam was placed in a beautiful garden. He was in a perfect setting, and he still failed. Because of Adam's fall, all of his children have been born in sin. We've all been under the sinful stain of Adam. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We're all in need of a Savior, and we all have trouble with sin and temptation. The second Adam... Lord Jesus was driven into a barren, barren wilderness. There he did battle with the devil and he walked off with the victory. Jesus went into that wilderness and faced the devil on his own turf. He did this so that he might help us when our own times of testing come. He understands because he has been there. He's able to help those who will look to him for the power to overcome their own trials and temptations. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. He fought the battle so that he could hand us the victory. You know, in 1961, a man by the name of Adolf Eichmann went on trial for his crimes as one of the principal architects of the Jewish Holocaust. One of the men who testified against the ex-Nazi was a concentration camp survivor named Yehel Diener. A film clip from Eichmann's 1961 trial shows Dinyar walking into the courtroom, stopping short, and seeing Eichmann for the first time since the Nazi had sent him to Auschwitz 18 years earlier. Dinyar began to sob uncontrollably, then fainted, collapsing in a heap on the floor as the presiding judicial officer pounded his gavel for order in the crowded courtroom. Was Dinyar overcome by hatred, fear, horrid memories? No, it wasn't any of these. Dinyar explained that when he saw Eichmann, he realized Eichmann was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. He realized that Eichmann was an ordinary man. I was afraid about myself, Dinyar said. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like he. You know, Mike Wallace in the CBS 60 Minutes summed up Dinyar's terrible discovery by saying, Eichmann is in all of us. You know, that's a horrifying statement, but it captures the central truth about man's nature. For as a result of the fall, sin is in each of us, not just the susceptibility to sin, but sin itself. 
the evil man that lies within. And how true that is. The possibility to do the greatest of evil exists within each one of us. The only hope we have, the only help we have, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like to ask you today, are you in a position to be sure that you have a personal faith relationship with Jesus? Are you? Are you really? Second, if you're saved, are you sure that you're filled with the Spirit and the Word of God? You know, we all fight battles with temptation, but there is help in the Lord if you receive it. He's waiting to save you if you are lost. He's waiting to strengthen you if you're weak. He's waiting to forgive you if you've fallen. Would you bow your head with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we've had today to share your word. Thank you for all the people in the sound of my voice, O Lord. And Father, I know there are some there that have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, help them realize that we're all like Adolf Eichmann. We all have capability to sin and sin greatly against ourselves and each other. Father, help us realize that the only path to saving grace is through your son, Jesus. And Father, I would ask that you work on the hearts of those in the sound of my voice and help them understand that without Jesus, they have no future, no good future. Without Jesus, they can look forward to an eternity in hell. Father, if there are those that have have accepted your son but for whatever reason maybe they've they've shied away from your word from your grace from your people maybe it was something that a preacher said or a preacher's wife maybe it was something that somebody on the street told them maybe it was something a family member said i just ask you that whatever that is lord if you would work on their heart to come back to you and rejoin the fellow Christians that stand there with their arms open for them. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus and what he did on the cross for us and the temptations that he survived in your name. For it's in his son's, your son's name we pray, Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.